Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer, playing with the uh, the soundboard here, looking away from the microphone. That's not too good. Doing that again. So hopefully uh, everything is going well in your life and in your operation and uh, getting ready for harvest, right? So that's always a, a blessing. We're, we're deep into our harvest. It's been a, you don't, I know you, you, don't, you don't listen to the show to hear about my life. So uh, everybody has their own trials and tribulations in their life. But, uh, but it's amazing how a beautiful crop can be and uh, it never ceases to amaze me i should say and uh, and every, probably 99 percent of those who are listening to this is, will be able to associate with what i'm going to say it's amazing how a gorgeous crop can just be i don't want to say decimated because it wasn't but how the effects of a hailstorm just uh, are devastating and back in july we had a, um, a hail event here. I was coming from town, and it was pouring in town, and I got just about here to the farm, maybe about a quarter of a mile away from the farm, and I was in my pickup truck, my Ranger, and I heard tick, 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 and I saw stuff, white stuff bouncing off the hood. And I said, uh-oh. And then I turned on the Cat Swamp Road, and it was hailing to beat the band. And I said, oh, God, I know what that means. So uh, there was no wind, just just hail and they still and a few minutes later it stopped we all know that drill doesn't go on for forever thank god and it stopped and i you know went down into the fields to look at the crops and we do eight to, well eight to ten plantings this year was eight so it was all different stages and the uh the plantings one through three are in one field and then five through eight are in another field so um and the other field the five through eight you know, it's amazing how that hail hits and you go you know a thousand feet away and it's not hailing so so i looked in the field there was really there was nothing broken but i had almost every i don't want to say every plant probably 90 percent of the plants had the leaves torn and opened up and slit like razor blades so i said oh and it was it's still in the vegetative stage at that particular point and the plants grew and then subsequently when we uh we we had a lot of rain and warm, humid weather. So you know what cut leaves, rain, and warm, humid weather mean. Well, to get to get to the chase, my plantings five through eight were late season devastated by, I don't know whether it's Goss's wilt. I, I was afraid of, uh, I was truly afraid of uh, gibberella. And I said, oh God, I said to my wife, I said, this, I hope that field doesn't get full of gibberella but we really have no jib and uh i i don't know if it's a goss's wilt but it just i mean the the plants just look uh like drought stricken in the husks the husks very quickly turned then made an ear of corn so it, it made a beautiful ear of corn but then the husk just it just so anyway to make a long story short i would have to say in some sections of that field it's probably a 90 to 95 percent loss and as i said there's different plantings and each planting got hit a different way so um, it really went from a, a beautiful beautiful crop to a uh, crop that's probably one of our worst crops ever 
I mean, the, other than a year, we, we had a couple of times we had a total crop loss, but the wor- probably one of our worst yielding crops ever. So I should say that, as, let me back that up and say marketable yielding crop. So uh, very, very disappointing. But, you know, in the scheme of life, I mean, what are you going to do? That's what farming is. You trust in God and, you know, you give it to him. You don't understand why. And there's certainly people have worse things than that happening. But, uh, it's, and we, and as I said, you know, many times we hand harvest. And I'm, you know, one of the main hand harvesters. So it's like you can't even get away from it. I mean, you're in the field for all day long just looking at this devastation. So it's like, oh God, you just want to put you know, put blinders on and not look at it. But it is what it is. And then also, we have low CEC soil around six, and uh, I and the large sections of the field. And that's you know that's my own manage. I I can't blame the hail for that, but management strategy is I've never had so many areas of the field run out of end before. So uh, you know the plants got all fired on the bottom and uh, and. I mean, our, our our nitrogen program, but is I'm not going to say it can't be better, but I've never in all the years of raising sweet corn here, we've had areas of the field where, you know, you'll run out of N or, but I guess maybe those seven or eight inch rains probably just uh, drove it too deep into the soil. So, so we're still harvesting, thank God. Uh, what we're able to harvest is good. Are we going to go through the season as we thought we did? No. Uh, a ton of damage the first three plantings a lot of wildlife damage uh this planting hail damage and infection and disease damage uh, i was i guess it's a disease what else would you call it so but that is uh that's the tale of the tape here on cat swamp road this year and uh so many and i noticed this happened all at the everyone is that it was so poised to be a record gorgeous beautiful i look at my phone at pictures i had from a couple of weeks ago then yeah, i was oh, so proud proud as a peacock of that of those of that crop and then uh, things go away very very quickly so what are you gonna do but also on a different note real quickly uh is that just to share it with you and not the burden would not to be I'm, I'm not complaining whatsoever but uh, sadly you know my sister is part of comes down when my wife goes back to school is a kindergarten teacher and comes down to run the farm stand and that aspect of it the sales aspect of it while i'm in the field picking and doing the other aspect with the crew and um well just the other day she's supposed to be poised to come down that week and make a long story short she didn't feel well five o'clock in the morning took her to the hospital she lives up outside of buffalo new york tonawanda new york which is where if anybody's a big block chevy man the old big block chevys used to be made there one of the plants used to have a a decal on a valve cover it said tonawanda forging and the plant is still there i forgot what engine they make there now but anyway uh they don't put that decal on anymore they should this this country needs that stuff like that but anyway, she doesn't feel well, goes to the hospital, they take it to the hospital, they transfer it to another hospital, they're doing an angiogram, she gets a heart attack on a table doing an angiogram, they rush her in for triple bypass surgery, the surgery should have taken three or four hours, took six hours, she was on the bypass machine for six hours, uh, had a lot of complications afterwards, the other morning we were i was hard thank god i didn't, we didn't even know it until later on in the afternoon yeah, but she basically came very close to dying she went to heart failure kidney failure her lungs started to fill up with water 
her heart wasn't pumping. The ejection fraction was down in the 20s. So it was a a real uh, crazy, crazy week. And then on that same day, one of my my young men that picks with me, new guy, is excellent. And uh, he never told me he's a diabetic. And then he's in the field. It's like 93 degrees, 94 degrees outside and humid. And he's in the field. He says, I don't feel well. I didn't take my insulin. And then uh, said, my mother's bringing my insulin. And then I said, just stop picking. He said, no, 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 I'll be all right. And then he took his insulin. And then I came back to see him. And uh, he says, I don't feel well. I called my mother. My blood sugar dropped down below 60. And she's got to bring me some juice or something. I said, well, don't worry about your mother. I said, get in the... So I put him in a bucket at a tractor. I said, lay down in a bucket at a tractor. And I ran him up to the farmhouse. And I said, my to wife, please, please give him some orange juice. Gave him a chair to sit down, and so uh, <laughs> that was the day my sister almost died. So it was a, it was a, it was an interesting week. And then, and then on that same day, my wife pulls up by the farm stand, and she parks her car by the hedgerow. And there's a kitten. She hears a kitten meowing, and it took us two days to get the kitten. But the kitten is now running around the ba- my basement office here. So if you hear something, we have we can't blame Donald, my cat, for the kitten. He didn't bring the kitten here. My wife did. And somebody dumped him by the corn stand for us. I think it's a little girl, a tortoiseshell. And uh, so she's running around down here, tiny little kitten, having a, having a ball. So Donald brings the crickets and the cicadas and the chipmunks, but my wife brought the kitten. So that is it. So now you know everything. But what are we going to do? We are going to talk today about... Uh, about a a practical a practical approach a practical approach to uh of using ohm's law or understanding ohm's law so that is what the topic is going to be and then but first and foremost and most importantly i have to give a shout out because i have another pin in my map and this is in tempe arizona and it's from mr peter martinez and mr martinez uh, used to read me in Hemmings Muscle Machines magazine, some other magazines, and I still write for them, but I don't think he has a subscription anymore, so that's why he doesn't read me. Uh, and then he went to look me up, and he found the Idle Chatter podcast, and he listens to it with his son, who is 16 years old, but I neglected with everything going on, neglected to reach out to Mr. Martinez and ask him what his son's name is, so maybe I'll have to give another shout-out next time when i uh, get his son's name but they listen to the idle chatter podcast and uh then i want to thank you sir for uh, for listening and for reading my ramblings of this uh dry land farmer for those years in the car magazines then for allowing me to put a pin in tempe arizona with your name on it the first and no hey listen I'm uh, I'm disappointed because I don't have any international. I know I have a lot of international listeners, but no one is contacting me, and I got an empty, empty world map here. So please, no matter where you live, no matter where you listen, United States, North America, Canada, any place around the world, just send me an email at Hot Rod Farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and i will be tell me where you're from and i will be very i will great glee i will put a pin in the map with your name on it so i want to thank you in advance for that and then we're going to have a uh, a special delivery letter today and that is a, a mr uh, a mr bob uh renhart from iowa and he's asking me about ethanol and then we're going to have a toolbox test question. 
and the toolbox test question is about an uh, electric irrigation motor for a irrigation pump for a center pivot so that is going to be it so let's without any further ado let me get back to uh to our topic of a practical approach to ohm's law and then i will get done then at the end of the show i have a blue tractor waiting for me very 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 patiently to take me back to the cornfield and to go and continue harvest so that is it all righty you know the you're talking about ohm's law you know the the into my to my way of thinking and this is you could you could choose to differ with me on this obviously you could choose to differ with me on it but but to my way of thinking is one of the problems that we have in education in, and i'm going to say this country all right because i don't know what's happening in the rest of the world it's probably not any different but i don't care i only care about this country and and if you and we have listeners all over so if you're in italy you should care about italy if you're in spain if you're in south america and venezuela you should care about venezuela you should always care about your country and there's nothing and and there's nothing wrong with that you need to be a patriot be a patriot for the country where you are born your country of where you live so if you were born in another country and you came to live in the united states and you need to be a patriot of the united states because you chose to come here and live it doesn't mean you forget your old ways or whatever but it means you gave you give your allegiance to the country that you chose to live in so anyway but uh i think that what's missing or i know it's what's missing and especially for me is that there is very little practical application that is taught or even demonstrated through education whether it's from elementary school into middle school into high school and even into college and maybe maybe lots of times in in i shouldn't say sometimes in college depending upon where you go and what your what your study is there'll be some more practical application but for the most part the practical application anything in life needs to be foundational you need to lay that foundation just like you plant the seed right you need to need to have good seed to soil contact you need to have you need to have to have a, a good seed bed for that seed to you know, take root and grow and you need to have a, a soil that's not crusted on top so it doesn't so it could break through and, and, and emerge so all those things come into play and um and i don't know i just i must have forgot to uh, i don't know what that noise is but somebody something outside who knows uh, but uh, sorry about that but the uh, the thing is that without this without this foundation without this practical application oftentimes anything that is taught in school just goes over someone's head and so many and so many students and i myself was were, was included in that i'm not, I'm not any different than anyone else is that you would study to pass the test and anybody who is successful in any walk of life you know again, in the world according to ray you don't just study to pass the test you study to understand and you study to learn and and by understanding and learning you can apply that education and that is the disconnect that i see in today's society you have a whole bunch of people running around with a whole with 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 higher education degrees like we've never had before the amount of people and yet there's no practical application they could basically almost trip and fall over what they have a thesis in and they don't wouldn't even know what it is say what's that on the floor well that's what you just wrote a thesis on because we and we don't balance out practical application with i'll say 
book knowledge or, or, or theory or technical knowledge. And because of that, I think a lot of people, especially in the in the in the prime uh, primary grades, I mean pre pre university, pre college, so junior high school and then high school. I think elementary, your mind is too immature at that particular point. But once you start to get into junior high school and definitely into high school, you, you become a person, an adult, and, and you could apply different things. But prior to that, the world is a big mystery. The <laughs> world is a big mystery today to me. But anyway, so we, we don't do that. And then oftentimes, somebody sits in the classroom and they're being represented something and like in a physics physics class or a chemistry class or a science class or or even a math class and and it's meaningless to them they say what are we what am i going to do with this and with electronics it that is that is a very very common phenomena and the thing is that you have to realize that electricity is something that you cannot see yeah if you have so to a wire shorting out and you see it arcing then, then obviously you're seeing electricity, but in action. But for the most part, you're not seeing it. Just like, just like fuel for the average motorist, they've never seen it. They've never seen gasoline. I don't think my wife has ever seen gasoline, liquid gasoline. Uh, she would, especially in New Jersey, because we are um, the only state that doesn't have self-serve. So she's never even pumped gas. So it's never. Even, so the thing is that she doesn't see gasoline. She doesn't know what gasoline looks like. I mean, she knows it's a liquid, but she doesn't really know what it looks like. And, you know, with electronics, that's that's often such a stumbling block with it because we don't we don't see it. We see it. We see the response of it. We see what it does. So you turn the radio on, it plays, you throw a switch, and an electric motor works or, or something else happens. You push a button and uh, the air conditioner comes on. So we see the result and that result of the electrons flowing through a wire, but we really don't ever see it and uh so it makes it a little bit more difficult to grasp but getting back to that practical application is that ohm's law and the way a circuit works is something that you really need to have a basic familiarity of foundational as i was saying early on because of all of the electronics and electrical things on today's farm equipment and vehicles so if you don't if you don't have a basic understanding of ohm's law and what's happening there it's going to be very hard for you to diagnose a problem or understand or even anticipate a problem with a piece of equipment because it's uh, all magic to you it doesn't it doesn't work on magic and it'd be just like me going into the field and saying and as i started to say about my corn crop is that i have i've taken pictures of of a lot of the plants and, and what has happened to the plants and the husk because i am not a an agronomist I, I know enough about agronomy to get myself in trouble and that's basically it so i don't know whether it's goss's wilt stewart's wilt i know it's not gibberella but the way it affected the husks on my plant uh, is uh, something that kind of uh, you know tricked me because if you get some sort of wilt, it usually affects the leaves more than, than the husks. So, but anyway, so I have to look into that. So I'm not saying there's never a time that you have to ex- that you don't have to explore something, but there, but you have to have a basic understanding of what's going on. And if you don't have this basic understanding, often you're going to invent a science, invent a science to. Uh, 
to explain what you've seen and that science may be wrong. So using going back to my cornfield, with the wilting and everything, you'd say, well, geez, you know, this corn is dying or this corn needs water, a layperson would say. And, you know, we had 27 inches of water since May 2nd, so it's not dying of water. But it, it gives the appearance of dying of water and drying up like that. So why I feel it is important for you to have some basic understanding of this and specifically of Ohm's law because it's the it's the uh, it's what what all of electronics is foundational on as I was saying but when you have a piece of equipment and or at this time of year a lot of people are adding equipment you may be adding some equipment to your um, some monitors or some kind of capabilities to your combine. You may be adding a, a scale and a, a weighted electronic scale to your grain cart. There's all different things that you possibly you, you, you could be doing uh, that's going to add electrical circuits to your equipment. So it's a good idea to understand that even if you have a piece of equipment with nothing, you have a lawn tractor. But it's, you need to understand the basics of how that circuit functions through Ohm's law. So what I do want to say to you is that we're only going to act, we're only going to aspect a scratch the surface on Ohm's law today but I hopefully we're going to give you enough information for you to be able to pick up the ball with it and diagnose or just feel comfortable with working on something. So the first thing that you have to realize is that anything electrical doesn't works on watts w-a-t-t right so we have a, a how many watt light bulb so you could have my wife has a 1200 watt hair dryer so works on watts and watts is a, is a is a measurement a scale that james watt who also invented the horsepower uh equation came up with so a simplistic approach to this is that you need to understand that volts times amps equals watts so now, for instance, let's say my wife's hairdryer, and it makes no difference. You guys, it's a cranking motor, a starter motor in a car, whatever. An electric, an electric um, irrigation pump motor, it makes no difference. But the hairdryer is a simplistic, a simplistic expo, ex, uh, example. Don't get my my tongue is in my mouth. But anyway, so if my wife has a twelve hundred watt hairdryer, so volts times amps equals watts. Now volts is electrical pressure and amperage is current flow so amperage is the what really does the work in a simplistic way so the thing is that if you were to say it's a 1200 watt hair dryer how many amps will it draw well you would need to know what the voltage is going into that hair dryer so if it was 120 volts then it would draw 10 amps right because 10 times 120 equals 1200 and volts times amps is watts if the voltage were 60 volts instead of 120 volts then it would draw 20 amps and if it was a and if it was higher voltage it would draw less amps so we need to understand that when you're working on equipment so for instance let's say that you have a uh, a cranking motor so that's a starter motor, cranking motor. And the thing is that <clears throat> if you go turn the key and this starter is, this battery is weak. And a lot of people 
you know, it's hard for them to 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 um, the, the the kitten is, is is crawling up my leg, and that's why if I see him, uh, her claws are going into my leg. But the um, the thing is that people find it hard to grasp this. So let's say you have a weak battery in a in a in a, in a vehicle pickup truck, and instead of the battery having twelve point six volts at rest, it has ten volts now. What is going to happen in that particular instance is that the starter still needs so many watts to operate. Of course, it's going to work on watts. It doesn't care whether it gets from more amperage and less voltage or more voltage and less amperage. So it's going to, it's going to work on watts. So if you have a battery in a, in the, a pickup truck, a tractor, combine, whatever, that is weak, what is going to happen is that the starter is going to say, I'm going to suck more amperage. And the amperage, the electron, <coughs> excuse me, the current flow of the electrons is what is going to build heat. And and you go and you st- go to crank the engine, you go, and all of a sudden you smell something and the battery cable is burning. You say, how can the battery cable burn? Because the uh, the the ba- the batteries. How can the battery cable burn? Well, the ba- <coughs> excuse me. The battery cable is burning because the starter is sucking more amperage, and that is creating a lot of heat. So you have to recognize that the balance between voltage and amperage is extremely important, specifically on today's modern farm equipment and modern engines. The other thing that comes into play is something I want to reintroduce that I've spoken about before on this show, and that is electronics has what they call a threshold voltage. So the threshold voltage means the minimum voltage that the circuit will function with. So if you have, let's say, your cell phone, or you have a transistor radio, does anybody have those anymore? Is that at a certain point, it goes, it shuts off, it doesn't work anymore. So that reached a threshold voltage. So it's important for you to understand that that with with this Ohm's law is that a lot of electronics, they may not draw a lot of current, a lot of amperage, but they have a threshold voltage that it, when the voltage gets below that value is they will no longer function. So in essence, the way I like to teach it, and I've said this before on the show, if you've heard it a while back, is that you could look at the voltage as a bank account, a checking account. So if you need, so if you have $100 in the checking account, you could write a check for $100 and in theory that check would clear. You could write a check for $99 and that check would clear. You cannot write a check for $101 because that check would bounce. So if you wrote me a check for $101 and I brought it to the bank and you only had $100 in the bank, that check would bounce and come back and say that the insufficient funds to pay it. They don't come and say to you, well, hey, Ray, you know, uh, Joey wrote you a check for $100 and he only has 99 and so we're going to give you the 99 and chase him for the 100 for an extra dollar to make it 100 No, they just shut the whole thing down. And that is, that is the same thing that happens with threshold voltage. So when you have a circuit, so when you're having a modern and I, I don't want to say anything that's electronic, as I've said before in the show, electronic means it has circuitry in it. It's not, a, it's not just a, a, a apparatus that works like a motor 
versus someone who has some sort of circuitry in it. So the first thing that you need to do is that if you're having some sort of intermittent problems, is that you need to to check that threshold, not the threshold, you need to check the voltage to it and confirm the voltage to it. Now, keep in mind also is that if you have, if you start to stack electrical loads, so for instance, you're going, you're you're in your combine and you're harvesting, right? Because we're in harvest season. So you're in your combine and you're harvesting. And then what happens is that it's nice and cool in the morning and you don't have the air conditioner on, you don't have the headlights on, you have nothing on. So you're just running the equipment and whatever monitors and whatever, whatever needs to be needs to be run. And now the sun load starts to come up. So now you go and you put the air conditioner on. So when you put the air conditioner on, you're evoking the blower motor. But more importantly, on an air conditioner system, you're evoking the electromechanical clutch. So that clutch is electromagnet that pulls in. That's what cycles the air conditioner. So the clutch pulls in and engages the engages the the air conditioning compressor. So it's like a clutch in a transmission, but it's electrical. So now, when you put that electrical load onto that system, well, if the alternator output is not proper, or there's a bad ground, or there's something else, is that you're going to now start to stress that system because what's going to happen is the air the air conditioner compressor is going to work on watts the clutch so it's 14.6 volts coming in if it needs 10 amps or whatever i'm making up a number from my head 10 amps to pull that clutch in and to maintain it and you have 14 volts instead of 14.6 i'm not doing the math but i said maybe that's going to start that it's going to pull 11 amps so now keep in mind and that's why I was saying it's important if you understand this, specifically as you add electrical equipment to your farm machinery, is that if you look at this and say, okay, so now we're drawing, we're drawing at one or two more amps than we're supposed to because our voltage output is low. So now we add something else. Now we uh, turn the windshield wipers on. We turn the headlights on. We uh, we so we keep we keep so every time that you are going to put an electrical load onto that system if your voltage output is low the amperage is going to be higher at one particular point you're going to run out of output in that alternator conceivably all right so if it's a 70 amp alternator and you start to stack up loads all right because now if the voltage output is weak on that alternator then you're going to be drawing more amperage due to ohm's law and you're going to run out of alternator capacity very quickly so the take-home message here is that you have to realize that as you load, if you place electrical loads on a system, is that if it cannot maintain the voltage, the amperage drawer is going to go higher than is it is designed to be. So very, very, very important. And um, that has the potential to cause a lot of problems. And the thing is that you need to also recognize the fact that just on the uh, just as on the output side, the alternator output, the car, the voltage going into the into whatever it may be, and then its current draw, that the ground side is just as important. Then you need to be able to not overload the ground side. And people don't think that much think much about that. But you know, and ohms. So if you talk of Ohm's law, Mr. Ohm's, Ohm's is the resistance to current flow. 
So ohms is the resistance, it's the restriction. So just like you put a restrictor in a in a, in a in a water line or restrictor in something. So ohms is the resistance to current flow, it's the resistance to flow. So if you have a high impedance ground, you're going to in you're going to have a resistance to that circuit going back because it's DC going back to ground for it to complete the loop. But I'm not saying a high impedance ground. What I'm saying to you is that as you add electrical components to your machinery, and I don't care whether it's a pickup truck, you get these guys, they put all these big bright lights on them, they put these big stereo systems in them, they do all these other things, they put the air compressors on them, is that you have to recognize that at one particular point, just like you can overload that alternator output, that you could overload that ground circuit. And people don't really think of the ground circuit being overloaded. They could they could visualize and think of the the output, the say, oh geez, I put too much amperage in here and put too much draw, I burned up the wire. Well it's not that you're gonna burn up that wire per se, but but you can burn up that ground wire, as I said, because you're putting too much amperage through that. And that, and you have to remember, on a DC circuit, everything goes back to that ground wire. So that is why when you have a battery that's low on voltage and you go to start the engine, as I said a few minutes ago, the positive lead does not burn up. It's the ground lead that burns up because what's happening is that the starter motor is sucking is sucking the, the sucking the the amperage out of the battery and because the and because of that the ground is becoming overheated and it is becoming overloaded with a weak ground and it could burn the ground up so it's it may be hard for you to grasp this over a podcast it's actually a little bit easier if you had a blackboard in a, in a classroom but hopefully i could do a good enough job for you to understand so what you need to take away from this is that the basic tenet of Ohm's law is that as that everything works on watts. Volts times amps equals watts, even though it may not be listed as watts, but if you were to look at a piece of equipment or a drill press, a, a irrigation motor, it's gonna tell you how many watts it is. So if you were to look at that, that's what it's gonna work on. And it also has a designed operating voltage and that's why it's so important to check voltage. And this is not even not just for your farm equipment. This is also for in your farm shop, in your house, in your buildings, even though that's AC versus DC. But if you think about like some like this specifically this year, they're having so many brownouts in California where they turn the voltage down, right? And onto the power grid because they have a lack of capacity and yet they won't have electric cars, but we won't go there, all right? So the thing is that, and the people say, well, during the brownout, I burned down my air conditioner in the house. I burned down my refrigerator. I burned down my well pump. I, I, I burned out something. Why is that? It's because of Ohm's law. That well pump still wants so many amperage or so many watts, excuse me. And if the, if the power company turns the voltage down, it's going to go and suck more amperage so that amperage is what's going to burn out that pump so the thing is that it is not just machinery related ohm's law is not just for dc ohm's law applies to ac circuits also so but the thing that people don't grasp as i was saying is that that just like base saturation is on a soil test it's that voltage 
times amperage equals watts and the watts is your yield just like i'm having a terrible yield this year marketable yield with my sweet corn is that i don't have the yield the thing is that the electrical apparatus be it a computer be it a motor be it a refrigerator whatever it may be be it a monitor in a combine, be it the ignition system on your pickup truck, is going to work on watts. And that's volts times amps. And if you don't have the voltage, you're going to increase, it's going to suck more amperage. So for it to uh for it to operate. And that is why, if you look at it, a lot of let's say for an air conditioner in a house using that as an ac circuit is that you'll have a lot of air conditioners will run 220 volts uh, to a 240 with a 220 240 we call it 240 here in new jersey it's 2120 2120 legs coming in but anyway and people say well it's cheaper to run it's truly not cheaper to run or at least in new jersey it's not because the power company would we have jcpnl jersey central power and light sells me electricity on the on as a kilowatt how many thousand watts so what's going to happen is that if i run a 220 240 volt air conditioner in my house or i buy a a 120 volt air conditioner in my house it's not going to be people used to say oh it's cheaper to run the 240 all right because it's going to take less amperage because it's still the air conditioner needs so many watts to work but it's not going to be cheaper to run because the power company is selling me the electricity and selling you wherever you live by wattage. It's not selling it to you by amperage. Why will it be better to have a 240 volt air conditioner or a 240 volt or a system, whatever it may be, well pump versus a 120? Is that 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 electrical component, that motor, whatever it may be, will run cooler? and in theory last longer because it's running cooler why because of ohm's law if i have 200 i'm feeding at 240 volts excuse me i hit the microphone 240 volts then i don't need as much amperage and the amperage is what is building the heat so going back to my wife's hairdryer if she had a 240 volt hair dryer instead of a 120 volt hair dryer and her hair dryer is 1200 watts instead of drawing 10 amps it would be drawing 5 amps and the and the amperage is what builds the heat in a circuit so the apparatus would run cooler and if it runs cooler then in theory it's going to have a longer service life because heat is of a detriment to it so as i get ready to close this segment and hopefully i didn't confuse you and i got this kitten climbing up my leg uh hope it didn't confuse you the thing is that keep in mind that the first the first the first point i want you to grasp on is that everything electrical works on watts volts times amps is watts so if you identify what the operating voltage is even if you go to the next time you're in a store look at something look at a cheap little thing i'll say 120 volts dc 110 volts whatever it may be i mean ac so if the voltage is low then the amperage drawer is going to be high if the amp if the voltage is higher then the amperage drawer is going to be lower keep in mind we spoke about threshold voltages and threshold i only mentioned about the the bottom of the threshold that if the voltage is the voltage is too low 
and then the uh, no no you hear you hear she's meowing she she her brother she worked her way up my leg onto the desk by the microphone sorry about that so uh, she wants to be on the podcast and uh, brave new world for her up here so anyway she's playing with my wires don't play with that wire but anyway so the thing is that you need to understand that relationship the other thing is that when you're diagnosing something you're diagnosing oh jeez she just pressed the button on the on the, i'm sorry about that she just pressed the button on the uh and the come on kitten you're going down she's doing her own sh- she's doing her own show here sorry about that but uh but the uh <clears throat> i gotta press another button here okay she, she, she messed everything up here hopefully it's all right so uh anyway it's been one of those weeks so the voltage times the voltage voltage times amperage is what you need to be concerned with when you're in when you are when 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 you are i'm sorry this is certainly not a professional show hopefully if you never listened to this show before they don't all these things don't happen uh every week thank god so but uh be concerned also with the ground circuits. If you're adding electrical equipment to your to your to your farm machinery, do not be afraid to add an additional ground. And that ground circuit should go back to the battery ground or to the engine block or some sort of frame and chassis ground. It's not a wire with a sheet metal screw into something. So it needs it needs to it, it needs to be to be to be into a good solid ground then you should check that ground doing a voltage drop test which is simply you're going to measure the electrons that are backed up the traffic jam of electrons to go to go into the uh, to get the ground and how you do is you power up the circuit and you have your voltmeter negative lead on the battery negative and your positive lead on that ground with the voltmeter with the circuit operating it has to be operating and what that does is read the the backed up electrons it should be less than two tenths of a volt if it's more than two tenths of a volt you have a traffic jam there so as you add things to your equipment do not be afraid to run an additional ground on a good solid ground because it's going to go a long way also do your math so if you if your piece of equipment has a 70 amp alternator and you're and you're adding different things to uh to the to the machine be cognizant of the amperage draw and then also be cognizant of the voltage output of your alternator most alternators should be about 14.6 or 14.7 volts so you need to be cognizant of that to uh to because of the input voltage is going to affect the current draw so you have to look at all this we can't just be bolting you know spotlights on and winches and all those electronics on things and not be cognizant of that lots of times you may have to upgrade the alternator because you will just be at that threshold so you know, and also keep in mind that like a modern diesel like a modern gasoline engine that the fuel injection system draws a lot of current so it's not like it was a carburetor or a pump line nozzle diesels. So you need you need to have you need to have a threshold here. You need to have a threshold that will, will give you some wiggle room because you could say, okay, no, 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 come on, sweet, this kitten, uh, come on, sweet, I go down on the ground. 
So uh, sorry about that. And uh, <laughs> you need to uh, to have a, a cushion, I should say, because you could say, fine, you're going down a field, you're going down the road, and you have this electrical load, and now you put the headlights on, now you put the defroster on, now you put the windshield wipers on, and that is going to all be sucking from it like a checkbook. So you can't just keep writing checks and not have them bounce. You need to be able to have enough funds in there, and enough funds is going to be enough capacity in that alternator. So you should be aware of what the alternator output is. It's maximum amperage output before you do anything as far as adding equipment to it. So this all goes back to the basic tenant of Ohm's law, that volts times amps equals watts, and then then everything is going to work on watts. And if and if you don't have the watt, it's going to want the watts regardless. It's going to pull it just like a corner is going to pull for nitrogen if it's there or not. It, if it's not there, the plant's going to turn yellow and not yield, and that equipment is not going to work properly. And keep in mind that if you constantly run something on a lower voltage than it's supposed to have, then it's going to run hotter and over time will be a detriment to that um, to that to that circuit. So, all right, if you have any questions, I'm sorry for all the mess-ups. Uh, I know last week I messed up stuff coming out of the field, picking, and then this week we got the cat, and it's been a crazy week, so I really apologize to uh, to everyone that this show was not, this episode did not come out anywhere near as professional as I'd hoped for it to be. And then also, there she is. Uh, I got lights flashing here because I guess my soundboard didn't like a little kitten's paws on it. But hopefully... God willing, Tex Rubinowitz from Ripsaw Records will play, and he will bring you in for the toolbox test. Come on in, Tex. All right, Tex, thank you so much. All right, here's our here's our question. Toolbox test. Put your thinking cap on. You're going to buy an electric motor for an irrigation pump. You do not know if it is if it, if gasoline or diesel excuse me, you do not know if gasoline or diesel engine horsepower equates to electric engine electric motor horsepower. After church, you ask around. So basically, in essence, is a five-horsepower gasoline engine that the ability to do the same work as a five-horsepower electric electric motor. So Farmer A says it does. Horsepower is horsepower regardless if it's an internal combustion or electric engine, electric motor. Farmer B thinks it might be a little different, but it's close. Farmer C says that the electric motor horsepower and hydraulic horsepower are the same. Ah, oh, hydraulic horsepower. And then Farmer D says that 746 watts are equal to one electric horsepower. So the basic question is, do electric horse, electric motor horsepower and internal combustion engine horsepower, do they equate one to one? You ready? So now we're going to get our letter here as I said, from uh, Mr. from Bob in Iowa. So he goes, hi, I have a simple question for you. What do you think of ethanol as a fuel? And, well, thank you so much for listening, Bob, and thank you for writing in, and hopefully I don't have this kitten mess up. Hey, it's always good, right? You always blame the kitten on everything, blame everything on the kitten. But uh, that doesn't have a name yet because we're not sure if it's a boy or girl. But 
I, I'm going to answer your question in two different ways because there's a lot of news, there's a lot of talk now in the news with about ethanol and about the uh, about the requirements and the current administration not honoring the requirements. I'm not going to get into the political aspects of it. But do I like ethanol as a fuel? So I'm assuming that you're talking about, sir, about ethanol blended with petroleum-based fuels, for instance, like E10, E15, E85, or, or I don't, or if you're talking about uh, E100, which would be 100% ethanol and no gasoline whatsoever. So I will first talk about the blend. Do I like ethanol as a fuel, a blended fuel? Yes, I do. There's a lot of, I did a show early on in the Idle Chatter podcast uh, family and speaking about ethanol. And I think ethanol is an excellent fuel when blended with gasoline. It's a renewable fuel. It's a clean fuel it's uh, it's um, it's uh, american grown right it's it's coming from from the heartland it's uh, it's agricultural based fuel i think that there's that it's an excellent excellent fuel the downside of ethanol blended with gasoline is and just the reality of it ethanol has less energy content less btu uh, per gallon than gasoline does but that's not insurmountable and on low level blends 10 15 percent ethanol in with gasoline it's it's really not even a factor even though numerically it's a factor in practical application it's truly not a it's not a factor so do i like ethanol i think there's nothing bad to say about ethanol as a as a blended fuel in petroleum-based gasoline right now as as far as e100 is concerned ethanol pure ethanol with no gasoline is that then because of its lower energy content and some and it's and it's a it's a it's it's not it's a it's lack of ability to want to start with cold it brings a bunch of engineering problems to it but those engineering problems are not insurmountable whatsoever if you want to have a e100 engine so an engine that runs off of pure ethanol then what will there's there's a number of things that need to be adjusted as far as when the engine is designed and built to support that fuel but as i said that's not insurmountable but you could not take a an engine that's designed to run on gasoline and do nothing to it and pump e100 into it and have it run properly so that would be just like a diesel engine is a dedicated engine and for dedicated fuel versus a spark ignition engine a e100 engine so if you're talking about pure ethanol then like they they i think they're using some pure ethanol down in south america and what have you but then is an application specific design so just like you would have a a a corn header for your combine and you're not going to try to go and uh, and harvest beans with a corn header so that would be an application specific design but once it's application specific the only pitfall that i would see with that is that you would probably have to almost double your fuel carrying capacity to get a to get a range that would be equivalent to either gasoline or diesel but other than that it's certainly not a not an issue it's just a, it's how is it designed it's designed a little bit differently as far as the fuel delivery system is concerned some corrosion factors there with the uh and with the with the ethanol actually wicking in moisture it's not the ethanol that corrodes it the eth- ethanol acts like a desiccant and wicks in moisture 
So, so to answer your question, do I like ethanol as a fuel? Yes. Do I think ethanol blends are, are good fuels? I definitely do think they're ethanol. They're wonderful fuels. I think that ethanol blended fuel has got a terrible black eye, even in farm country. You talk, I mean, and, and, and what I mean by farm country is rural areas. It does, the person doesn't necessarily need to be a farmer, but they live in rural areas, and I think that people don't understand it, and then they, they live in that community, and they go into town, and they want to buy non-ethanol-based fuel, or they go curse ethanol-based fuel because they claim it messed up their lawnmower engine or what have you. There's, a, there's so much misconception, and that's why if you look back in my archives, and uh, I mean, ethanol Based fuel and specifically E85 is like the, the has been demonized like GMO crops. So, uh, and you know, don't, let's not be concerned with the science or with facts. Let's just be concerned with our agenda and drive. And that's what the world is like. People drive an agenda. And sadly, ethanol is falling into that agenda where it has nobody driving it. The ethanol industry wants to drive it on facts but they, they're up against an agenda, and it's very, very hard. So hopefully I answered your question. In New Jersey here, we burn nothing but E10 for many, many years now. We don't have anything higher than E10, so I can't go to a blender pump and find E15, E20, E30, or what have you, but uh, we only have E10. And that's why I laugh, because people talk about E10. We've had E10 in New Jersey for because they used they put ethanol in the gasoline many years ago because they got rid of mtbe methyl tertiary butyl ether as an oxygenate and mtbe was terrible is very very poisonous and they replaced it with ethanol so we've had e10 for years with no problems whatsoever i mean god knows you may even have e12 or 13 who knows what you're getting but but it's supposed to be e10 and then i hear these other states you know they're freaking out oh we're gonna have a 10 percent ethanol oh my god the world is coming to an end we've been driving a 10 percent ethanol for 25 years here in the northeast and nobody knows the difference so uh that is it so if you have any questions on that please feel free to get back to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com so now we're going to go into our toolbox test question and i'm going to let you go and it's farmer d is correct electric motor power is calculated at 746 watts of consumption equals one horsepower so remember ohm's law right so 746 watts so an electrical so an electrical motor that consumes 746 watts regardless of what of of uh, of what the voltage or amperage is because remember voltage and amps equals watts so to have a so if i have a one horsepower a well pump then it's going to consume 746 watts of electricity if i have 120 volts it's going to consume more amperage if i feed it 240 volts it's going to consume less amperage but still going to get back to 746 watts but the equation is a little more detailed because so when you convert uh, uh when you talk about electric motor because it talks about efficiency then it's not for us to get in here but it's 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 the it's the electrical motor's ability to because you would have a 746 you could have a 746 watt motor electric motor one horsepower have cheap 
with bad bearings and it's drawing 900 watts, that does not mean that it's more powerful because the, the armature is is, uh, is stuck on bad bearings. It's 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 grinding. So, but uh, seven, so yes, so electric motor power is calculated differently than hydraulic motor or internal combustion engine power. So once again, I want to apologize for my poor performance this week uh like i said it i mean it's not uh, i'm not looking for any sympathy and as i used to say in young man the young man in traffic called get caught guilty with an explanation that my sister almost dying um one of my pickers collapsing in the field um the heartbreak of the uh, of the failed crop and all the other things that are going on in the world that i am definitely off key today so i apologize for that and i promise to be better on track next week but hopefully you enjoyed the show and you learned something from it and i just want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and i'm gonna have a talk with this kitten as soon as i shut the microphone off okay bye bye thank you so much for putting up with me